welcome to another episode of the Creating Queensland podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Reynolds. My background is that I have a private town planning practice and I created this podcast as a platform to share the career stories and ideas of interesting people I've come across in the Queensland property industry. Each episode is a casual chat of around 20 minutes where a range of topics are discussed with the aim of expanding our knowledge of different professions and most importantly, humanizing those who are part of Creating Queensland. If you know someone that has a great story or ideas to share, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jessica Reynolds, Urban Planner. This is episode 11, and in this episode, I speak with one of Brisbane's most respected female architects, Elizabeth Watson-Brown. For 21 years, Elizabeth headed her own private practice, Elizabeth Watson-Brown Architects. She then merged with Architectus. Among her many accomplishments, Elizabeth just recently collaborated with the world-famous firm Wawa on Brisbane Tower, 443 Queen Street. In this interview, we discuss her career, being a working mum, her thoughts on the industry, and where to from here. This is episode 11. Enjoy. So we've got Elizabeth Watson-Brown here today. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. So what is your job title? What do you actually do day to day? I'm an architect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been an architect for a very long time. But So I had sort of my own practice for many years and I, I ran that practice and then I became design director at Architectus okay. Brisbane. And I'm still sort of fulfilling that role, but in fact I've stepped out of the directorate role. Okay. Um, and I'm working, you know, fewer hours at the moment. I'm sort of a, in a, I call it semi-retirement okay. mode. But it does mean that I'm. I would say still lifestyle mode. Yeah, lifestyle mode. <laughs> <laughs> Prompted by all sorts of lifestyle things. Um, but yeah, so I'm really consulting to architects at the moment, but in the same kind of capacity as a design director, which is wonderful. Yep. So I'm working on particular projects that I really love and I really need to put input into. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Okay, so how did this all start? When did you become an architect? How did that, was it from childhood you just knew or did something happen along the way? Look, I suppose I always loved, as a kid, I always loved drawing endlessly, you know. And my mum used to, mum's passed on now, but um, used to talk to me about this particular drawing that I did when I was, you know, went, first went to school. It was, just, you know, buildings and 2,000 bicycles, you know, and that was my impression of school. So I always loved um, <laughs> drawings and I was always interested in space and place and, and buildings so I guess you could say it's a very early thing but in my high school years I was particularly interested in you know a lot of the A things you know archaeology, anthropology, okay. ancient history, culture and a lot of it is to do with you know places and, and architecture so pulling all of those things together and the art that I loved I kind of I felt that architecture was a bit of a fascination and a calling. Mm -hmm. Um, and in those days, there weren't, you know, there, there were no women architects really, and no role models. But did I that make it exciting? It. it made it super exciting in a way, and it was also exciting times. I mean, you can tell that I'm not young. But so I started. Can't tell. Can't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started uni um, in 1974. So that was an interesting time politically. UQ. UQ. And it was an interesting time politically. Mm -hmm. So it was a time of, you know, like it was a time of interest in liberation, interest in changing political paradigms, I suppose, in Queensland. So it all kind of aligned with um, my development of the idea of myself as a woman architect, do you know? So it was, it was pretty, you know, early days of, of feminism, I guess. And so, yeah, it's a whole lot of kind of different streams in a way came together in my particular time, my baby boomer time. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yeah, architecture was what I wanted to practice and I've been on that train ever since. <laughs> I haven't been imaginative like other people and had what a lot of women have. Oh, there goes some architecture in the background. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of... It's actually yeah. a terminal. Maybe we'll... Uh, no, I think no, it's going to be right. on and off. It might be. That's okay. It's uh, good to see development and hear building happening. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was just, um, yeah, it was something that felt a, bit, a little bit like a calling. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. I haven't had what they call a portfolio career that a lot of women have. Yeah. So I've been pretty passionate and focused on it, I guess. That's what's carried me through. Being, um, I guess, probably one of the very first few females that went through architecture at UQ, did you face any backlash or was it quite supportive? Reasonably supportive, but now that I look back on it through the lens of contemporary things, I think, you know, most contemporary young women would be utterly horrified yeah. by a lot of that stuff, but that was in the context of what the world was like. And, of course, we were very interested in women's empowerment and all of that. And so, you know, that was something that we were interested in when we were at uni politically and that sort of thing. But it, when, when you think about particularities of... Um, you know, the context way back then. When I first started practice, for example, I think I might have mentioned this to you before, I went to the bank, you know, just to get an account for my, not even a loan for my practice, and they required my husband's signature to do that. Do you know, and people, young people like you just kind of cannot uh, believe I it. I would but scream. No, I know, and I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I also was asking them, uh, you know, the accountant about... Um, you know, um, whether I could claim childcare, you know, for, as, a, yeah. as, a, as an expense to do with my, you know, having my practice. Uh, because at that time you could claim long lunches, you know, mm -hmm. as a tax deduction in terms of, you know, business costs. And they said, no, so there are all those things that I now look back on and I think, that was absolutely horrifying and ridiculous. <laughs> but at least as the optimist that I am, I kind of think, well, there's a track of a lot of change, you know, in, in the intervening 30 years or so. Yes. You know, that, that means that there has been progress. It has seemed like a glacial kind of pace mm -hmm. during it. But I think I can now say that my granddaughter, in terms of a lot of those things, is in a better situation than women were, you know, when I started out. And there's a lot more awareness of it. Definitely. Yeah. Have, you, have you got any oh, children in the background? Yeah, that's fine. That's, it's very topical. Like kids. Yeah, I was about good. to say, do you have yeah. any um, family members that have followed you into architecture? No, I think one of my sons was kind of tempted by it, but I think it was when I and my husband were pretty involved at UQ, and I think that probably was <laughs> <laughs> And also, you know, because we're both architects, it was pretty much a huge part of their childhood, and maybe they got a little bit... So you're married to an architect yeah, as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we met at uni and, you know, that's all kind of reason, probably reasonably typical, I guess, because we were so involved in all of the same sorts of things, yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's crazy. But he um, went into academe oh. reasonably early after a bit of practice and I stayed in practice, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, there was something I wanted to ask. Oh, that was it. So... Designing then, from when you started, to designing now, do you think there's been a difference in how the creative process works or working with other consultants? Do you have less or more of a say? Do you get to be more creative now or back then? Depends on the projects, doesn't yeah. it? It depends on how many controls are around the projects. But I sort of started my career, as so many often do, working on smaller things, working mm -hmm. on a lot of houses, and that's in a way how I guess I established my reputation and also kind of really engaged with the qualities of this place and what really fascinates me about the place so that yes. was a kind of a 
good schooling, I suppose, over decades, working on pretty interesting residential projects, you know, just really, really trying to understand and working directly with people, which always thrills me. (laughs) You know, and understanding the impact of really good architecture actually on people and witnessing it, that's still a thrill for me. The power of it is Just as good as bungee jumping? I I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Neither. (laughs) It's as much of a thrill as I need. And, you know, it's a challenge and all of that too, but I still get an enormous thrill, and I do say this to the young people, I still have that thrill of actually... When I go into a place, you know, that I've designed, um, ha- having it having started just as an idea and working through that in an incredibly kind of cooperative and intimate way with clients, doing it for them, uh, it still thrills me enormously to actually be able to walk into that space that started as an idea and then there's this very long process, as you know, to actually make it, you know, to design it no, and make oh. it and the whole process is very long and very complex and, you know, quite intense and very difficult and all of that to actually produce buildings but I still just get this huge thrill out of that so that's what sort of keeps me going. Do you find the more difficult the project the more of the thrill at the end? In a way because it happened. <laughs> Do you it know? Happened. And sometimes you have to fight for years for projects. Yes. Years and years but if you if you believe that they're important you know and um, and that's certainly the case with a couple of the larger projects that I've worked on recently if you believe they're important and they're going to say something and they're going to be influential then it's it's worth it's worth doing that you know really do you feel like you're leaving a legacy oh i don't know i sort of don't think about it that way you know like i'm not donald trump or do you know but i but if there is any kind of legacy it's the legacy of the kind of conversations that we've been having for years and then the great thing about architecture too is that um people see a one-to-one model of it it's not just words or writings or even drawings it's actually something that people can be in and, you know, like this amazing place we're sitting in now, the powerhouse is just incredible, you know? And uh, there was a time when we thought that that may not happen. Yeah. And it did. And, and these are the things that, you know, create, as I keep saying, the sort of infrastructure of the lives that we all share in the city, which is just so critical. And then to be, so to be able to see those things and to show that they can be done, that's the huge power of it. Yeah. Oh. So inspiring. <laughs> I like my heart's going. Oh, really? <laughs> the micro- microphone will pick it up. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so what has been your biggest career highlight? Oh. I know it sounds like you've got a few, but maybe oh. let's let's pick one. Or even could it be running the business? It's actually been run, like- running, running the practice that lasted for 21 years and I only changed from that when I was invited to go to Architectus with an amazing group of people. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not me. This is the thing. You end up being a kind of a figurehead of your practice in a way, but it's all of those remarkable people, some of whom I did work actually for, you know, with for not nearly 20 years who are this very close team. That was an enormous achievement and we had friendship and respect and all of that. To me, that's, nice. the, that's the biggest achievement. And then, you know, when I was invited to go to, to Architectus, so because of how much I enjoyed my own practice. I agonised about that for a couple of years, but I saw it as an amazing opportunity to kind of apply the things that we've been thinking about for Yonks at the larger and more urban scale, and that's exactly what happened, so I'm very grateful for that. So that would be your sort of biggest career highlight, if there was one thing you wanted to choose out of well, your there, entire well, that, 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 that period? 
And, but also, you know, the, the big project that I'm working on at the moment that, yeah. that Do you is tell like, us more about yeah, that? Yeah, which so is like the fruition. Listening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's a project called 443 Queen Street. And that's been a remarkable experience because it was really the experience, you know, when I, I was approached, you know, by the clients to work on that in collaboration with WOHA, which was so thrilling as well because they're heroes to, to actually kind of do a, you know, a low energy, subtropical residential tower in Brisbane, just an amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. For me, it was sort of bringing all of those things that I've been thinking about and doing over 20 years and understanding Brisbane and the people who might live in these buildings and the climate and all of the stuff that's sort of been honing, I suppose, and understanding over the 20 years of practice and then, um, then having the opportunity to kind of create something based on those principles but at a much larger scale has been a thrill and and that's one of the ones that you know we fought for four years three or four years or something yeah (laughs) it has been a long exhausting (laughs) but it's under construction and I still have to pinch myself you know and for me it was a wonderful learning thing too to be working with fantastic um, other architects and just learning so much so that's been an enormous thrill um, and uh, that will exist yeah so I read the other day about with a lot of architects, they actually don't hit their prime until much later in their careers. Look, Do you I think, think that, that I don't stands? know. Look, I think, um, you know, there are lots of brilliant young people and they're mm-hmm. really doing fantastic stuff. But I, I think there is a thing about, I think there is a thing about having just done it for t- 30 years or so. You know, you kind of then get, you know, it's like being a human for, for a long time. You get... you get a kind of a sense about things you know and you kind of when you meet people say when you're older you've just spent so many years meeting people and knowing things and understand you get a kind of an immediate chemical reaction about people and in a way there's hopefully you know if you've got a bit of wisdom hopefully over the years you kind of get much more hypersensitive to what's good or what's right and that's certainly the case I think working in this particular place and sort of in parallel with when I've been working, there has been an increased kind of sophistication and maturity about how we think about this place and how Mm -hmm. we discuss it and what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that certainly wasn't the case in the 70s when I first started architecture. We had a pretty big cultural cringe. (laughs) You know, we had a minister for buildings and works or whatever the hell he was called then who called us arty ticks, you know, and everyone just assumed that you're elitist and you know, you know, all of that. But there, there's been a, uh, there has been a, a growth in sophistication of people understanding at least what we do and how important placemaking is for everybody, for the whole city. Yes. You know, for well, life, what, for How the do world. you see the, that importance? I, I have my own opinions, which probably very much align with yours, but why is architecture important? Well, we're making things that are big and fairly permanent. They'll last longer than we will. Buildings use an enormous amount of energy. You better do it right, do you know? You better see that as an enormous responsibility you know as well as an opportunity but it's an enormous responsibility to actually do that right environmentally culturally you yeah, know these okay. things are as i said the infrastructure of where we all live you know yeah so we better understand the place that we're doing them in we've got to understand the impact of them which should be good not bad mm-hmm. we've got to understand that we use an enormous amount of energy to build buildings so we better make sure we know how to minimise that. Mm-hmm. We better make sure that in their operations they absolutely minimise energy use as well and that they demonstrate the best way to design and live in this place. And we have got remarkable opportunities in this particular climate. You can design really well passively mm-hmm. and for, uh, you know, for 
economically, passively. So it, to me, it's an absolute irresponsibility if architects and other city makers don't do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you, you're obviously working on some much larger projects at the moment. What about architects who are maybe working with smaller developers who are pushing more for that economic over design? Look, I think that there's, you know, if you tr truly understand economics, I think mm -hmm. you can always make a case. Now that there's a much more sophisticated client base now for any development project, now, thank goodness, it's actually a desire for people to have something that's environmentally responsible and green. And they are actually prepared to, in my view, Maybe I'm being completely naive about this, but I, I, again, I think there's a growing understanding of what kind of buildings that we need to be responsible inhabitants of yeah. them. And I honestly think that, and it's going to be a slow change, but I think advo uh, advocacy is a really important part of architecture. Definitely. And, you know, you just need to keep on explaining that. You know, that the whole economy of the way you build is absolutely critical and how that knits into the whole network of the city is absolutely critical and everyone needs to be responsible for it. Very much. I think yeah. it's definitely about educating. Totally about educating and building exemplars as well, which definitely. is what thrills me about some of the larger projects because they become understood publicly and if you explain them in the right way, that's mm -hmm. a very, very powerful tool mm -hmm. for education and for people to understand how great beauty can come you know, from, from, you know, designing responsibly. You know, I don't know if you Great life, great living. agree yeah. with this analogy, but I always see it like fashion. You have the high fashion houses, mm, you know, mm, whenever mm. you can afford, but then it, it trickles down. Absolutely. And it becomes more yeah. Yeah. accepted exactly. to the general public. Absolutely. So the big ideas happen. They're mm -hmm. often, they have to be financed, I suppose, in some ways. The big mm -hmm. ideas happen, but when they're there, you know, they are an enormous vehicle for everyone else to understand that. And I think people, I think... Um, architects and other placemakers, etc., can't hide behind this idea of the base as the political, <laughs> but, you know, wanting rubbish. They can, I don't think that's true anymore. I think people want change and they want to be able to make it in everything that they do, and we've got to sort of help facilitate that. Definitely, facilitation. Okay, so we've been through your biggest career highlight and owning the business. What about your biggest challenge? Same thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's always with business. The same, thing. the same thing. I mean, it's a tough business to do architecture. You know, it's not like other kind of professional practices. You have to keep finding that next job. And, and you want to be a good employer and keep permanency of employment for the great mm -hmm. team that you have. Sometimes that means you make personal sacrifices to do that, you know. Uh, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gig as a business. So that's been an enormous challenge and doing that while being a parent, you know, and all of those things are just huge. So that's what people have to go into it with eyes wide open, understanding, you know, that, that it's, a, it's a big gig. It, you know, it is. It's um, a big gig. I think I remember it, I, I saw you speak at Parlour. Oh, yeah. And you were talking about, mm. you know, looking at your competition constantly. Did, is that sort of a bit of a challenge? Oh, look, it's a, it's a business, so it's competitive, I yeah. suppose. And that's certainly a huge thing within larger commercial practices, obviously. Do you know, because you're at the life and death having to compete for projects and not not very easily either. The system doesn't make it... This is, it's expensive to compete these days. Mm -hmm. Do you know, it's an enormous cost to put in bids um, and there are always competitive bids and things like that. So it's a really... Again, it's at the larger scale and commercial scale, it's a very tough gig as well, actually, just keeping it going. Just keeping it going, keeping people employed. 
you know, and being a good responsible employer, which we all feel we need to do and should these days, it's hard to feed that. It's hard to feed that organism all the time. You know? Do you think that model needs to change at all? I think the model of bidding, I think the model of procurement does need to change. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's flawed because an enormous amount of brilliant effort and energy goes into just bidding on things that never see the light of day. Yes. And this is people spending enormous amounts of money and energy, you know, even if they're a paid bid, mm -hmm. it's pretty minimal. It'd be demoralising, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just to constantly be like, oh, this is great, but we just missed out. Yeah, we came second. Oh, well, <laughs> on to the next one. Yeah. So we're going to have to have the whole team working for three weeks, day and night, to get this next very sophisticated bid document in. And we're competing against six other firms, so, you know, it's that's insane because to me that's an enormous waste of energy. Okay, how would you and do human it? Human capital. I think we should have systems where, and I think, and I, I don't, I better not talk, talk too much about it because I don't really. But but sorry, um, they're just ideas. Limited design competitions that are properly paid. Mm -hmm. I think there are systems in Sydney now where yeah. they do a minimum. Yeah. You know, you know, you yeah. probably know more about it than I do. Coming from the planning field, where they, where they, you know, teams are teams are appointed and they do a certain amount of work that doesn't make them poverty-stricken mm -hmm. and then there's a review panel of experts that then reviews it for major projects for the city that seems logical to me and then you know then adjustments can be made and then the designers it seemed to me to be part of a you know a sort of a collaboration mm -hmm. making that project the best that it can be yeah you know rather than seven firms of architects spending weeks on end millions of dollars putting in bids for some of these major projects and only one firm wins it and then this their fees are probably screwed down as well yeah you know so it's a kind of an un we talk about sustainability but that economy is not sustainable mm -hmm. and the ones who are su suffering are the creative people who are who are the ones who can actually help change things yeah yeah, yeah. do you find it do you think any companies sort of go bust from it or oh or absolutely oh oh yeah all the time and that's nuts yeah, yeah. That's just nuts losing all of that intellect and human capital and experience and all of that, yeah. Yeah. Starting to sprinkle a little bit. Did you want to move? No? All good? Uh, okay. So because I do come from that urban planning background, mm. what has been your interaction with city planners? How have you found that system working well, with architecture? I've actually found it pretty good and um, not too bad, although I think there are some flaws in it because I think planners aren't necessarily, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> educated in, highly educated in design necessarily. No, we're not. And yet planners, certainly in here, mm -hmm. have enormous power over the process. Mm -hmm. Because it's actually, there, um, there are judgments made rather than very strict set of criteria and rules. And I actually think the criteria should be actually quite firm. And I think, it, but it needs to be well drafted, mm -hmm. and it needs to make it impossible not to design good things. <laughs> you know, yep. and you can do that by the tweaking of the regulations to actually make no, things you good. Can. You can do that, as you know. You can mandate for certain amounts of greenery and cross ventilation and all of that. So even if bad designers couldn't stuff that up, and then the planners are then not making judgments necessarily about whether that's good design, but they're saying that complies with a set of regulations that makes good design. Yeah. Look, planning what we really should be doing is looking at uses and bulk hmm. and scale and making sure amenity and streetscapes yeah. are maintained but it's not but you shouldn't be we, making yeah we shouldn't be making architecture goals that's why when i work with people i tend to go i'm not going to tell you how to design yeah. i'm going to tell you these are the yeah. issues this is what we negotiate yeah. but it's it's but not my be place. better for all of us if the if the actual regulatory context in which we operate was good you know and we see some <laughs> environments where 
the regulations, and Singapore is a good example, has mm-hmm. been influenced by good architecture. They yep. see the good outcome. Yep. They actually say, well, this makes sense. We're going to mandate for this amount of greenery and we're going to mandate for this type of low yeah. energy use. And you cannot not do that. And to me, if that were properly drafted, that would be a much better scenario. And then even very poor designers would be in for, you know, forced. Elizabeth with the burn. <laughs> would be forced to do things that are actually at least responsible. Yeah, so you talk about like reverse engineering, going, this is a good example, so how can we make sure that this is how it can happen? If I were in workshops and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be on one with the Sunshine Coast soon and things like that, I would say, well, this is what we came up against in this project. We were really working in very tight constraints to make this fabulous Mm -hmm. because this was a real problem, this particular thing. And if you just change that, you know, that would be transformative in terms of what we can deliver. No, I, I see it all the time. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the beautiful projects are so hard to get through because of the regulations, yeah. but then things that are just, you know, knocked up in a day and yeah, yeah. not really thought about. Tick, 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 And there it is. And it'll sit there and, you for know, 50 years. It's a system we're working with, but I don't think, yeah, yeah I agree. I don't I think, think the it's changing right. the system with much more aware, you know, awareness about what the results of tweaking particular you know regulations could be i think that would be great be so i think yeah i'm keen to see what happens with um, yeah. sunshine coast um, oh well they they, <laughs> ju- they just want to get some design guidelines together you know which is good yeah it's you know a start. and we'll be asked to kind of think about well, what are the qualities of this place what do we want to promote mm-hmm. you know what's important about the sunny coast yeah. um how do we then start setting up our kind of context for designers to work within Definitely. I, yeah. Well, I think it's totally needed up there too. Like I've seen a lot of the beach houses um, destroyed and just concrete boxes put up, and it's you know it's not contextual. No. It's, it's horrible. No. <laughs> I think, and it's not about style. my personal opinion. <laughs> it's not even about style, or sometimes it's not even about materials. And mm-hmm. people get this superficial idea of a, a particular form or something like that. It's actually about going right back to the basic principles of good design. Yeah. So where to from here for you? What are you, where are you, where are you headed? Look, I'm, I'm really enjoying things at the moment where I'm working on particular projects that I really do feel passionate about, not having to actually be responsible for running a practice, to be honest. At my age, that is absolute bliss because it means that the energy is expended on the design, you know, and so I'm incredibly grateful, you know, to the people who do run the practices but haven't particularly got any desire to keep doing that after 40 years of doing yes. it myself. Yeah. Fair enough. And so how can people contact you if they... Oh, they What's can. The best way? Do you have any social media? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, Elizabeth so Watson Brown. Yeah. Yep. LinkedIn's probably the best. Actually, that's how perfect. People have, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank it's you. It was been, a great pleasure. Yeah. Thank you Lovely. so much. Lovely. Yeah.